You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hey there, and welcome to The Agenda podcast for Friday, October the 6th. I'm Sona Rupani. I've been standing in for Georgia Tolley today as we discussed all things travel. Because summer is over and it seems like we've had our post-lockdown extra trips to make up for that lockdown period where we missed some travel. But demand is still riding high. So what's driving this? When are we going to see rates starting to come down? John Strickland from JLS Consulting joined us to share his expertise. Plus, we also caught up with Musafir.com, who have turned that phrase buy now and pay later on its head. They want us to save now and travel later. Plus, the expo site is very much alive and kicking for those of you looking for some entertainment around town. Jen has been down there finding out about all of the community activities that they have coming up. We're going to hear more about that. And have you been thinking about a hair transplant? Have you even had one? This is a topic we've been looking into with plastic surgeon Dr. Sanjay Parashar on why the procedure is seeing such growth and how he's actually working with robotics and AI to make it more efficient. We've also caught up with Chris McCarty on your latest sporting headlines of the day. And finally, we heard from Holly Murphy, who's founder of Heroes of Hope. It's a not-for-profit. They're putting on a brilliant event to help people of determination develop sporting, social, and interpersonal skills. Good morning and welcome along to the agenda this Friday. We're getting to the end of the week. Georgia will be back with us on Monday, but for now, I'm Sonal standing in. And of course, I've got Jen alongside me. Morning, Jen. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. And there's kind of only one place for you and I to start today. Before we get into the topics that we're discussing on the show, you've got a great look. And I saw you this morning. (laughs) And I thought, well, this is smart. So Jen is wearing kind of like a white vest, like a cool black blazer and a a New York Yankees kind of baseball cap. And I'm like, I've never seen you wear a baseball cap before. I am getting mercilessly mocked for the baseball cap in the office. And it is very clear that I am the person in the office with a fringe because there was no (laughs) option this morning with the 98% humidity and the wet windows but a baseball cap. Yeah, it was wet all around this morning. It was disgusting. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, it was either baseball cap or that episode of Monica from Friends in Barbados where she just sort of oh, right. develops foot wide hair. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. I'm like, Monica in Barbados? What <laughs> happened that got everything wet over there? Who knows? Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. I'm hoping, I have no information on weather patterns and how this works, but deep down, I'm just hoping it's that kind of, you know how sometimes the weather goes a bit reverts and then it's the end? I'm really, I'm really, really hoping. hoping so. Yeah, that this is a sign, but we'll see what's to come in the coming weeks. Hopefully it'll ease up a little bit. Now, I also just want to mention, you were down at Expo last night. I was, and it was very humid there too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been talking about how everything is moving to Dubai South. At least we were on Monday when I was with you last. And uh, they've got so many great events coming up. So we're looking forward to hearing about that after 11. But for today, we're going to kick off about travel. Now, seems like an odd start because you think summer's over. People have had their travels. Why are we talking about this? It's all because of a little headline that we saw. The National yesterday quoting an Etihad official saying, revenge travel has finished, but demand is still high. So essentially the desire to visit places around the world is still incredibly up there. And the trend is not just about making up for lost time anymore. So is this a trend that's sticking around is the question really that we're asking today. That's it. And apparently very much it is. We are all still traveling. And that's despite the fact that prices are really high. Do, do prices affect your desire to travel? I have this thing in my mind where it's, always, it's almost like a, a different bracket in my mind. Everything else I will be incredibly practical on. I will not buy clothes. I'll cut down on going out to eat. But travel is like a separate category for me. I'll maybe do it more practically. But if I need to get out of the country, I need to get out of the country. So I almost don't care how much it's going to cost me to get that ticket. See, we have to go home at Christmas time. Yeah. And the prices at the moment are so high that we really wanted to have a holiday in October and the school half-term break coming up. And it was just, we couldn't justify two separate sets of flights so quickly together. So we are actually going to Oman for the October break so that we can drive. And a big part of it was because 
we could have paid for flights, but then you're you're really eating into your actual holiday budget at the moment with the prices as high as they are. So we're going to Oman primarily because it means we're not paying for two sets of flights and we can have a better hotel and more fun and do more activities. Well, let us know if, like Jen, you've actually changed your plans around a little bit because of the flights. Um, you know, we mentioned Etihad already, but Emirates did confirm to us that demand is high and has not abated. We've also heard some reports out of CNN about Qatar Airlines indicating something similar, basically. Yeah, they interviewed um, Qatar Airways CEO Akbar al-Bakr yesterday and he was saying that while he likes competition, he does not believe in slashing prices. He said, quote, if we had to do that, I think we would have undermined many other airlines in the region, which we didn't. We need to be profitable. We are not here as charity. Yep. So this got us a little bit curious. This seems to be something we're seeing across the region, at least across the Gulf. So how long are rates going to stay this high in the UAE? How's it going to affect us as we look forward to our future travel, especially our winter travel? So to answer some of those questions, we're now joined by John Strickland, director of JLS Consulting. He's on Teams with us. Morning, John. Morning to you. Thanks so much for taking some time to chat on the show today. Uh, Tell us to start off with, what do you make of this whole revenge travel phenomenon? How impactful was it actually on the airline industry here and elsewhere in terms of people trying to make up lost time that, that they spent indoors during the pandemic, unable to leave the country? How much of an impact was that really? It, it really was and is being uh, incredibly important to airlines coming back from this uh, terrible period of COVID when there was next to no flying at all for, for over two years. And of course, the revenge uh, flying that you talk about began last year when we began to see some opening up. Indeed, Dubai was pretty well in the lead globally in making itself uh, open and welcome to tourists and indeed allowing people living in Dubai to travel again. But it's hard to keep that term when we now getting on for like 18 months or more later. Uh, but I think on the one hand, there is still pent up demand. People who didn't go away were still working through that. People who had income uh, and were normally maybe spending it on other things, uh, saved it up and used it for travelers. Yes, you were saying in your own personal case, maybe prioritizing travel over other expenditure. But we are 18 months on and all airlines that I see are still reporting incredibly strong demand. I was actually at a conference here in Europe last week and Sir Tim Clark, Emirates president, was talking uh, on a panel discussion there. He was talking about very buoyant demand. Flights been very full. And yes, prices from an airline point of view being good. Coming back to that uh, question of profitability that uh, Akbar Al-Bakar mentioned, from a customer point of view, price is still pretty high. And I guess we need to get to that because what does this mean for travelers? We've got, as you've said, already high demand leading to higher fares. Now we've got rising costs of fuel as well to take into account. What can we expect from airfare rates, not just in the present term, but let's say over the next six to, to 12 months? Is there any hope of them coming down or, or is there no sign of that at all? Well, look at it uh from the point of view of like trying to get a crystal ball out, you could say on the one hand, we never could have imagined we were going to have the, the, the terrible shock we had with the pandemic. Uh, nobody saw that coming and the impact it had. Equally, I think people in the industry have been astonished by the, the pace of recovery. But I think other factors feeding into the price levels. I mean, fuel, as you said, number one, that's a, a big factor because fuel is on the rise at the moment. It's a cost that airlines cannot avoid. Typically, one talks about the ballpark figure of fuel amounting to about 25, 30% of airline costs, but it depends on the individual airline and with high prices. That means it is of a rise. And uh, of course, airlines need to pass on such a, a large part of their costs in pricing. So although the prices to us as customers appear high, it doesn't mean the airlines are necessarily extracting uh, excess profits from it. But I think also more interestingly is uh, we hear a lot about supply chain problems. Uh, we see the big aircraft manufacturers Airbus and Boeing struggling to get just enough aircraft out of the factory door to deliver to airlines uh, and that includes airlines like Emirates they've been expecting a new type of Boeing aircraft a Boeing 7779 it should have been with them by this year they're going to be lucky if they get it a couple of years from now so that means a lot of juggling around uh, by airlines to mobilize other capacity if they can but overall it means in many markets we see capacity is still less than it was 
before COVID. And if capacity is less and demand is strong, the, the rule of schoolboy or schoolgirl economics yeah. is is uh, it pushes prices up. And, you know, taking that into account, what we can, given the current factors, expect for, let's say, December time, you know, people have just had their summer travel here in the UAE. But the next big sort of plans for travel tends to happen around December. As Jen was saying, a lot of people try to go home to wherever their home country is. Um, Some people just like to get out while it's a quiet period. What's your advice for people planning for winter travel? I mean, I assume get in there early is usually a good indication. But but should people start planning from now to, to get those tickets locked in? Absolutely right. Uh, I mean, this Christmas, I think exceptionally, demand is going to be very strong. And it's actually quite late in the day if you really want to go somewhere specific, uh, like in the case of Jen, going back home to to Scotland. Uh, it is quite late. Many people will already have thought about it and booked. Uh, I know myself from work I did when I actually was uh, working directly with airlines, we would be looking at how many bookings were coming in months ahead, ahead, months ahead. And you'd see those signs of Christmas picking up six seven eight months ahead of time now we're talking about what not much not much more than a couple of months of christmas so if you're not going for a specific occasion like christmas and you can go in in a quieter time which for example in in europe would be more like january february or or coming up now november pick those times pick quieter days of the week but the, the the peak travel of christmas is definitely going to be buoyant and prices will already be high availability of seats overall will be getting quite limited already And just the last one for you, John, are we seeing because of these high prices, because of people adapting to them, are we seeing much more interest in the budget airlines at the moment? How are they doing? Well, certainly they're they're doing very well. Fly Fly Dubai recently reported very strong results, as did Air Arabia. So they're the two, uh, generally speaking, low-cost airlines uh, in in the region and in Europe. Again, uh, Ryanair is now highly profitable. Uh, EasyJet, the second largest uh, low-cost carrier in Europe, uh, which made big losses through COVID, they report their uh, last financial year results in a few weeks' time. They've already indicated that will also be back to substantial profitability. We see for them, too, prices are up. But it's a question of who you travel on. I think it's a good point that low-cost airlines typically have lower fares. So uh, a 10% price increase, for example, of a low fare is obviously much less in cash terms than it is on a a high fare like business class, for example. So if you can pick where you fly, uh, you can also better tailor uh, to your budget. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time this morning, John. And it's obviously something we're all going to be watching very carefully and very closely. And I guess we'll see what happens with consumer behavior as a result of these changing prices and fares that we're seeing as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. The voice there of John Strickland. He is director of JLS Consulting, and you've heard it there from him. Definitely all indications are that prices are going to stay probably just about where they are. I'm Sonal Rupani, standing in for Georgia today. She is going to be back on Monday, so we're very much looking forward to that. But for now, we're turning our attention back to travel and more specifically how you can afford it, because we've been talking a little bit about some of the trends, especially when it comes to the UAE carriers and how demand has been riding high. And we know what that is likely to mean for fares as we go ahead. So do you have specific ways or special ways of saving for travel? We'd love to hear from you on 4001. You can always reach us on our WhatsApp as well, 04871 We caught an interesting piece of news about the online travel agency, Masafer.com, partnering with an app called Sav. Now, Sav is a goal-based savings app. So you set a goal and you save specifically for that thing you're looking forward to. And what they're looking to do with this partnership is to help you save ahead for future travel. So to find out a little bit more about this, we're joined now by Rickon Shet, Assistant Vice President of Operations at Musafir.com. Rickon, good morning. Good, thank you. Rick, and tell us a little bit more before we get into this specific partnership. How is demand at the moment? Are you seeing an impact due to some high prices? Well, the demand has been phenomenal, Sonal. And uh, even though the high price of the airfares uh, does contribute to, uh, you know, to, the, to the financial issues in terms of travel, but I don't see any reduction in the travel requirements uh, from from our consumers as in terms of both leisure as well as business. So I think it's it's really nice at this point of time. 
Are you seeing any trends in terms of, again, you know, we talked to John about budget airlines, but also maybe less common destinations. How are people managing higher costs when it comes to travel? Are you seeing any directions? Yes. So so there are quite a few destinations that are coming up, uh, which are not as expensive as the European destinations, but uh, low budget uh, destinations. Uh, A lot of low budget airlines have started up, uh, especially for Saudi Arabia as well. So I think I think people are understanding the need for 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 a sustainable finance uh, or or smart travel, and and that's where I think our partnership uh, with SAV, uh, you know, has has been a great achievement uh, uh, over the last uh, week. That you know we were talking to them about fostering sustainable financial practices, where saving and accessibility are extremely important at this point of time. Well, tell us a little bit more about this new initiative that you've launched, because kind of a save now, buy later for travel scheme, it turns on its head the whole buy now, pay later that we're used to seeing. It's usually enjoy what you want to enjoy and then gradually pay for it as you go, whereas you guys are trying to do the opposite. Tell me what's the thinking behind this. I think uh, what we believe in is simplicity, flexibility, and above all, planning with one's own money and not borrowed funds. Now, when I say buy now, pay later, it's definitely a, a, a part of the, uh, you know, the broader picture. However, I think save now, buy later is a short term savings account that, you know, it allows customers to save up for a future purchase with brands of their choice and get incentivized in return. And I think I think it, it uh, the save now, buy later really creates a new opportunity for enterprises to, you know, more deeply engage their existing customers. And also empower the new customers, especially the expat populations, to make a purchase with a brand with their own money rather than borrowed funds and get into the cycle of credit card bills and stuff. And how does the whole thing work? So uh, explain it a little bit to us, this partnership that you have with SAV. And if somebody wants to do this, what do they have to how do they go about it? Well, it's a very simple process. Uh, they open up an account uh, with, with SAV. And of course, they set up their goals. So what we've understood that 40% of the of the consumers who've signed up with SAV are saving for travel. And then, of course, you link that uh, to a credit card or your to your account and start saving from as you know as low as 500 dirhams or maybe even 100 dirhams depends on what what type of goal you are setting. So it's a it's a very simple process which allows accessibility to your funds at any point of time, and it allows you to also reduce or increase the amount of money that you're you're putting in each month. Yeah, I mean it's definitely an interesting prospect. I'm curious to see, you know, as it's been recently launched, how the take up for it is eventually, and if if you see a lot of people engaging with it, because when it comes to travel. Do you find that people aren't as responsible financially as they should be? I gave a little example earlier because I'm guilty of this, where I see travel as a separate category. If I need to get out, I need to get out, you know? So uh, is that is that something that you see across the board, that people are a little bit more easy with their money when it comes to travel than they should be? Uh, yes, I agree. But what is the percentage of the people who are actually doing that, right? We're talking about maybe 15 to 20% of the expat population who are probably in that category. But I think what we want to really cater to is, you know, make travel affordable to every single person who's actually dreaming about traveling at some point of time. And I think, I think, uh, you know, saving maybe 200 dirhams, 300 dirhams on a monthly basis is not that difficult. And that really allows you to stop dreaming and start traveling. That is what the motto is for Musafir.com. Okay. And with, with SAV coming up, I think, you know, start saving and uh, start musafering. Right. And Rick, thank you so much for taking some time to walk us through that today. It is really intriguing. We'd love to, you know, touch base again in six months, understand how it's been going, if people have really been using that. And there's been a real demand for that as well. So thanks for joining us this morning. You're welcome, Shannon. Have a good day. Thanks. The voice there of Rickin Sheth. He is Assistant VP of Operations at Masafer.com. Welcome along to the agenda. If you are just tuning in, you've got Sonal and Jen with you through to 1 p.m. today. And Jen, you've had a pretty exciting uh, 24 hours. You've had a nice evening last night down at Expo. Yes, it was pretty humid, but apart from that, it was really lovely. So they actually received their Guinness World Record last night. It was presented on the stage under the Alwasal Dome. And that was for the world's largest interactive dome. Now... I hadn't particularly thought of the Al Wasl Dome as being interactive, 
before last mm-hmm. night. Yeah, you just caught me a bit on the hop. I'm like, what, what's interactive about it? Well, there's now an app and okay. you can control it. And some photographer somewhere has a photo of me looking like a four-year-old on Christmas morning because I got to go up on the stage and play with an iPad that made the dome light up and make little jingly noises wherever I pointed. Now, when you said there's an app and you can control it, I just thought about who's going to hijack this and and (laughs) what are they going to show us on that dome? Who's going to play Baby Shark on there? But no, this is all controlled. It's contained. You basically can take turns to go up there and, and... manage what what's going to appear yes although apparently from january anyone will be able to download the app so i'm waiting for more details of exactly how that's going to work in terms of who takes over what but in theory from january we'll be able to put our kids faces up there we'll be able to do all sorts of stuff and from later this month in fact they've got their first interactive art event where there will be an artist who's over from japan who's going to be sort of I'm trying to think what the word effectively drawing on the on the walls of of the dome. So it's becoming a lot more interactive and there's going to be a lot more events like that where we get to see things appearing on the wall. And I got a chance to sit down with Amna Abdullah Abulhul, who is the executive creative director at Expo City's Entertainment and Experiences Department. And she said that the Guinness World Record certificate that the team collected last night had been a long time coming. That is not something that we have created for in a six months. It's a journey that started from 2019, pre-COVID even. I think what uh, what made us take all this time is every time we try to unlock a challenge in technology and innovation, we get surprised that it already got discovered and it's something there around the world. We didn't stop since 2019 and we pushed every boundary and we were just a group of few people but connecting the world because we had several people from around the world to make it happen and it was a historical night I think it's more as an achievement for us rather than just the place or the award itself because it's something we worked on for like five years thinking that we will finish it in 2030. And Jen, you live not too far from Expo. So actually, I haven't thought much about Expo since the actual Expo was over. I spoke to the Business Breakfast team this morning. And they said they haven't spent too much time there. But Expo's really making a drive to pull people back in. And they've got so many events that you've got me really curious about. So much going on there. And I mean, we, yeah, we moved in in July just to just on the outside of the expo site, right at the metro station. So our favourite thing over the summer has been to kind of go in and get a scooter and whiz about, mm. get a bit of breeze going. <laughs> but Does it been... feel a bit eerie when there's no kind of pavilions there, though? I mean, there's been a couple of pavilions that have stayed open over the summer. But other than that, I mean, a lot of the time we have essentially had the place to ourselves. Or, you, you know, my son the other day went into the playground and there were seven staff. One playground, seven staff. And just Arthur running around. So it has been quite odd. But last night, people were back. There was a sort of big event to launch this new programme. And it does sound as though there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. So they've started to move in anchor tenants. There's thousands of people are now working on the site. Obviously, things are going to be slightly interrupted with the arrival of COP28. Mm. But there's... A much bigger variety of stuff going on than I was expecting. So the Dubai Women's Run, the Half Marathon, the Spinney's Dubai 92 Cycle Challenge, that's all moving up to Expo. They've got those art events on the Dome. There's a calligraphy biennale and the carols by candlelight and the Winter Festival are back. I heard so much about this last year and I didn't manage to make it down. Did you go last year? I didn't go last year. So they told us it's going to be quite different this year. I don't know what last year's was, but from what I can gather this year, you're going to be able to sort of sit down in effectively what is the garden under the Al Wasl Dome and have a picnic. And they actually last night opened a cafe under the dome that's there permanently now. So you'll be able to sit and have coffee and cake there anytime you like. But during winter, you'll be able to sit and have your dinner and, and listen to the carols or sing along. I don't know much more about it than that. They're keeping it quite tight-lipped on what it's going to look like. But yeah, Carol's under the dome. Yeah, I love that. I love a new cafe. Cafe under the dome sounds great. Now, you caught up with Amna, as we heard earlier, and she told you a little bit about the diversity of the program. Yeah, she said that effectively the reason that it is so diverse, going from calligraphy to cycle challenges to Carol's to the Winterfest, is because they really want to make sure that they're appealing to the entirety of the Dubai population. 
One thing we always aimed for is the city becomes a home for people and it connects families together. And when I say family, I meant different tenants to collaborate together. And we see it happening now. We see it slowly happening with the new tenants coming in, with the different restaurants opening, with all the new festivals we're trying to host. There are so many things happening January onwards. And I think we created a beautiful ecosystem and we are seeing it now. So I don't think it's a place that is an event like before. It became as a city. There's also going to be a number of music festivals as well, which I wasn't aware of. So there's now Untold Music Festival. They've not confirmed the act yet, but the first tickets have already sold out and that's them on to the second phase of tickets now. I did see something about tickets and I've seen this festival, but I had no idea what kind of music it's going to involve. Is it sort of an EDM festival? I think it's largely EDM, but then when I looked at previous lineups from when it's taken place in Europe, it's Mm. quite diverse. So it's primarily EDM, but they've had some really sort of mainstream pop acts as well. So I have no idea what to expect. They've not announced any of the acts for it. And there's also another music event taking place in October that's themed around the climate, where you've got a DJ called Molecule, who's actually made a sort of interactive music and light display sampling the sound of melting ice. (laughs) So there's a little arty farty, but I like it. But like, I, mean, I like it. I could totally get behind that. Effectively, what they were saying was that's going to be the last sort of event that's going to happen before COP moves in and takes over the site. And so they're trying to put sustainability at the heart of everything that they do. But as sampling the sound of ice is probably the more extreme end <laughs> of the scale. But Amna said that it's kind of designed to show people that although COP is going to disrupt matters and close a few of the, the sort of pavilions and exhibitions, it's not going to disrupt things as much as people might think. This city was always built on a belief of prioritizing creativity, sustainability and innovation and being sustainability and looking after the planet is something that is essential in every program we do so we really believe that COP is chosen to be an Expo City is the right choice and it's a city of four kilometers you can always have something to do everywhere and one thing we always planned for is there is something for everyone and with COP happening with all the builds there's no issue because we navigated the site in a way that people will not feel a construction. And let's, let's be honest, every time there is something new that comes with a construction, but how can you beautify the construction? Because again, we use sustainable material. And even in our winter city, it will, happen, it will start actually 8 uh, December, which is still a few days during COP and end 7 January. Um, it will be a lot of activities that are for children. It's, it's talking about sustainability and how to preserve the planet. I I think there will be no issue and we never see anything as a challenge. Whenever we see a challenge, we see it as an opportunity. And let people be part of us. Let people be part of the daily routine of what's happening in the city. So that's Amna Abul. Abdullah Abulhul, sorry, there. She's the Executive Creative Director at Expo City's Entertainment and Experiences Department. And as she was saying, although there is quite a bit of construction going on on site, it's still very much open. There's a lot of stuff just kicking off, really. So it's definitely worth going down and having a look. And a lot of what's going on is actually planting. So it was very easy, very interesting to see what's going on there. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it and love finding out a little bit more about what's happening down there at Expo. Welcome back to The Agenda, where we have a very special guest joining us now in studio. Holly Murphy is the founder of Heroes of Hope. It's a not-for-profit which has the mission to develop and support the sporting, social, and interpersonal skills of people of determination. Holly, thanks so much for making it in this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. And you're hosting an event called Precision Pairs this evening, I understand, at the Dubai American Academy. Uh, First, tell us a little bit more about Heroes of Hope. You started the organization in 2013. How did it all come about? Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) Open-ended question. Um, Long story short, as short as I possibly can be, um, I used to be a school teacher. So I was a PE teacher for many years here in this region. And through my journey in education, there was a lot of children with additional needs who weren't always getting access to sport. Um, I started to realise that neurotypical children in particular, they had such a wide variety of after school clubs, sports academies that they could attend and obviously excel at sport and through sport. However, for children with additional needs, whether it's cognitive disabilities or physical, 
and just didn't have the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was kind of heartbreaking because I feel like sport is actually a space where they can really thrive and develop not just physical ability, but also social skills, um, cognitive awareness and so on. So there's just layers and layers that you can do through the journey of sport. So I decided, not decided, there, there was a process to it, obviously. So as I started to connect more with the special needs community, I then kind of developed my skills, my passion for working in this area. And then from there, the organisation kind of, you know, came about and just kind of naturally came about, to be honest. And then I decided that I wanted to step away from teaching and give everything I could to the special needs community in Dubai and the UAE. And let's get a sense of what that looks like. Precision Pair is coming up. What exactly can we expect in terms of how many athletes are participating in this? What are some of the event categories? What's what's the whole night going to look like tonight? Um, let's just, let's just kind of start from basics. So for us, this is like an ongoing kind of dream being honest for, for this organization. And it is a big vision to have, I feel like giving PODs the opportunity to really push themselves beyond their limits and to no longer kind of have a stigma about what they can't do. So tonight it's kind of a bit like anybody who doesn't know what CrossFit is. It's a bit like CrossFit meets functional fitness meets Spartan racing. So <laughs> okay. it's very raw. That it's sounds be, intense, Holly. And it is. And I think I'm a tense person. <laughs> so I think the event might kind of reflect that. So yeah, the whole idea in this event in particular is we're trying to get our athletes, so we call them heroes. We're trying to get our heroes, families and friends to join together as a team mm-hmm. and then to go through three very grueling challenges. Uh, let's just say one of the events is called What That about so that is an AMRAP so as many rounds as possible of burpees squats step ups that they can do like in eight minutes so we don't hold back when it comes to our heroes like we really do want them to challenge themselves push themselves and you know just see what they can do but this time the families are joining so it's going to be it's going to make up for a very interesting competition <laughs> I, I think that. yeah yeah it's going to look great and you know it's I think it's interesting what you were saying about how this came out of the fact that you saw there was a need for it that, that sports in particular that competitive sports was something that was lacking for people of determination. What is the actual benefit for focusing more on these kind of athletic opportunities? Because I think there's maybe a focus on other treatments or other kind of support, but what, how much of a difference do sports and, and these opportunities make? I think like I'm just, this is just kind of, I'm not saying that this is truthful or gospel, but I feel sometimes children who do have additional needs, I think, you know, sometimes the focus can be very much, as you said, on the therapy. Mm. You know, what we need to do to improve those certain areas, whether it's a cognitive improvements or physical improvements. But sometimes we forget they are children. And I think with any child or young adults, like, you know, sport and being part of a sporting community is really, really important, you know, just for friendship, for social an outlet, a safe space. And I think that for me was kind of the vision. I know when I was growing up, I was a bit of a wild wire and uh, my space I used to love to go to was sport. You know, I had friends there. I was able to run around. I could, you know, if I want to go and and throw weights around the gym or whatever. It's just a lovely feeling, to be honest. And I feel like, you know, people and children with additional needs, that's what sport can do for them. It just allows them to be the true version of themselves, but in a safe space. Um, but also as a space where we can build their confidence. We teach them what they can do. We work on the, what their ability is, not what it's not. And it's just teaching them about having body confidence, you know, and, you know, mental awareness as well, following the instructions, working within a team. So there's so much there, so many layers there that I think is so important just to their overall growth in character. So, you know, we do see now a lot of our heroes are actually now getting internships and stepping into careers, which is really promising for them. But I do feel being part of a sporting community, health or fitness, you know, it is character building. They learn do's and don'ts. They learn how to work with other people. They learn, you know, that, you know, it's okay to make a mistake or whatever. So I think just in general, just having children involved in sport, health and activities, I think it's just a great place to find yourself. You know, we can step away from the therapy and just have fun. And then, but through that fun, you are learning and you're growing. And uh, yeah, we actually call ourselves family of hope. So we see, see ourselves a big, massive family and we do look after each other. And when we're out there, whether it's a precision games, we actually recently did High Rocks as well, which is a global event. So whether it's a High Rocks event, we're all there cheering each other on, supporting each other and getting across the finish line. And, and tell us a little bit more about High Rocks. So the High Rocks, I don't know if any, I think there's, I think half of Dubai, if you're in the fitness world of Dubai, went to High Rocks. Okay. So the High Rocks is a massive fitness competition. It's a global event. Um, it happens across um, all the cities across the world from America, 
into Europe, Australia, you name it, the High Rocks is happening. Um, so that event is actually, it's an eight kilometre run that's broken up. And in between every kilometre, then you're, you're expected to do a fitness station. So it could be a rower, it can be a sled pull, um, a sled push. So you're looking at 60 to kg, you know, in some cases. So we actually entered two teams of cognitively disabled athletes who participated and they absolutely smashed it. And again, it's just like they went out there, nothing was adapted. So they had to do the same weight as everybody else. They had to run the same distances as everybody else. And it was a fantastic day. And I think, you know, people started to recognise that PODs can do this, um, provided they're given the right platform to do it, the right support and training. Um, you know, it's also society that put the limitations on. And I think, you know, through the sport, sporting world, we're removing those limitations and really giving these, these athletes a platform to shine. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, to keep going and just don't stop. Don't limit yourself. You can do it. Is there a specific student that comes to mind for you of somebody who's really through having this opportunity to engage in sports or athletics in a way they hadn't maybe before that it was really transformative for them, that it was able to maybe make a bit of a breakthrough for them? I think there's been multiple, being honest, and all with different disabilities. I don't like using the word disabilities, you know, but I think with a lot of them having kind of their own challenges, I would say, that's a better mm-hmm. word. Um, you know, they've overcome that. And it's been a very rewarding experience to watch them grow and change, whether it's they maybe have a physical disability, but through sport, they've now managed to overcome that. And it's becoming very, sport's coming a very empowering place. And they want to be pushed. They want to go better. They want to go harder. Mm-hmm. And as a result, that's actually making us as an organisation better coaches than pushing us for, for, like forward to do more and to be more active and ensuring that we can fulfil their dreams. And that's what we're trying to do. And another thing is, is you're talking about people with such varied disabilities. Yes. How do you create a competition? Because you think you, you mentioned cognitively um, people with cognitive disabilities. You obviously have people with more physical disabilities. How do you create a, an even playing field for people or at least attempt to create something that feels feel fair for them to compete in? I think something that I kind of learned, I think, as I stepped into this journey um, I don't know but like for me I don't really see the disability I look at them as athletes and they're my athletes and I look at what exactly they can do and then like you know working with any students or whatever you can then put them into their category where we can scale an event where they can work towards um, their goals and objectives but in a space where they are still challenged so tonight we'll have like heat one and heat two so some of those, some of those who are obviously physically more able and can go a bit faster will obviously make it a lot more challenging. And then those of us who do have more of, you know, physical difficulties, you know, we have to maybe slow down a little bit, maybe adapt the movements a little bit, but it doesn't mean they can't be challenged. So we're very excited for tonight's event. I think there's a lot that's going to happen, but... Um, you know, I think there's always a solution to everything. You know, it's about problem solving throughout this. It's not by looking at the problem saying, right, that's it. We can't do it. Of course you can do it. And we've never put that limitation on the heroes ever. And in fact, they've actually blown our minds. <laughs> and we're so proud of everything they've achieved, not just tonight's event. But, you know, this is, like I said, this is a couple of years now. We've been building towards new opportunities. And every time we've presented with a challenge, our heroes have gone out there and they've always done it. And we're very proud of them. Now, Holly, we've run out of time, but really quickly, if anybody's listening to this, feeling a bit inspired, can they come down and support the event? How can they get involved? Absolutely. So it's on tonight um, at Dubai American Academy. It's starting from 6 p.m. tonight. It finishes up at 8 o'clock. So if you do want to come down, pop by, please do cheer on the heroes and their families because it's going to be a tough event. (laughs) Very tough. But yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, we're looking forward to it as well. Holly Murphy, founder of Heroes of Hope. I absolutely commend what you're doing. I think a lot of people out there listening will feel the same. So Thank you so much for putting this on for the community and really supporting those families. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. You are tuned into The Agenda. I hope you're having a good, it's kind of the start to the weekend. I think it's fairly fair to apply that, even if you still got a few more hours of work left in your day. I'm really excited about the guests who are joining us in studio. We've got Kiara Jones, who is the Director of Marketing and Communications at The Fridge, and Anna Walsh in with us. She is a new venue director at TVM. Now, TVM is the world-leading alcohol-free bar group. And the reason that both of you are in is because you have a really exciting project that's happening over at The Fridge, and you have a bit of a collaboration that's going. I mean, Kiara, tell us a little bit about what you're launching. 
So we are collaborating now with TVM. Um, Next Friday is our opening day and it is our first time that the fridge are actually opening the venue up fully to the public by bringing in a zero alcohol bar with TVM. So we're super excited about this collaboration. Um, They're a brand that I've known from back in Dublin and over the last kind of year or so in the fridge, we've really wanted to open our doors so that we're not just a private hire venue, but that we're open to the public. So this opportunity is incredible and it brings, you know, a really interesting offering to Alcer Cal Avenue and to the art district there and the, the crowd that will be there. So we're super excited. And I think a lot of people will know of the fridge as a concert venue. That's how I know of it. I've been to some of your great concerts down there and it's such a cool space. But what is it going to look like now as a non-alcohol like bar? I mean, what does that exactly look like? So we've had a little uh, refurb over the summer. So we've, you know, replaced our shutters with beautiful big glass doors. So it's all open and welcoming. We will still continue to host our own concerts. We'll have, you know, ongoing entertainment throughout the week. So we're going to look at open mic nights. We're going to have DJ nights. And so this is absolutely kind of blending the essence of what the fridge does best in terms of music and live entertainment with this new addition through TVM. So all our guests are going to get something extra, which is amazing. And I think there's going to be a lot of people excited to hear about this in terms of just having more opportunities for sober nightlife or sober bar, because 100%. there seems to be a huge demand for this. And, yeah. and Anna, I'll bring you into this to say it seems to be a huge demand worldwide. And, and also here in the UAE, we're seeing both. So tell us a little bit about TVM, about why it was started. Sure. So uh, we started TVM about four and a half years ago now, and uh, so we give like a bar experience. Of course, everything is zero alcohol. We are a bar and a concept for everyone. It, uh, it works in every culture. So our tagline, we use drink different. We are offering a different way to drink. And, you know, I mentioned the stat earlier that about one fifth of young people in the UK are no longer drinking. You've got similar figures over in the US. We obviously know that even traditionally, there have been high numbers, even though I don't have the exact figure here in the UAE. And definitely seeing a growing movement towards this, towards people who traditionally have consumed, who are saying actually for health reasons, for personal reasons, whatever that is, that they don't want to do that anymore. I mean, is this, Kiara, a bit of a response to that movement? Have you seen a bit of a call or a need for this? We absolutely have. And I think, you know, as you say, you know, kind of Gen Z's have really spearheaded this movement, I think, as well. And even in kind of in the region here, it's also really evident. And I, as you say, whether it's for health reasons or just because people don't want to on a particular day, it's that's kind of the amazing offering that we have. And I think what's really interesting is these drinks are they're given the consideration and they're crafted and it's all about the flavor and it's the experience of, you know, these incredibly beautiful drinks that everybody gets just because they're like different and Mm -hmm. it's still all about how it's all put together. So it doesn't take away from anything just because you're not having alcohol. You should still have the most amazing experience for drinking. Yeah, I totally get that because I'm sure for many people who have given it up for a period of time, you think, well, when I go out, I still want to be able to experience that hibiscus infused kind of apple-flavored watermelon, whatever it is. Where, whereas typically, you know, your alternatives would be soft drinks, maybe not so healthy for you, highly caloric. So what is on the menu? And, and I'll put this one to you. What are some of the creations that people will get to experience on a more mocktail side? Sure. Um, so first of all, on, on the word mocktail, we, um, our aim is to evolve our people's perception <laughs> of what a mocktail is, okay? So traditionally... Um, Zero alcohol or mocktail drinks are just sugary, syrupy concoctions and you don't want one with not much thought into it. They're usually an afterthought on the menu. But our whole concept are amazing, well-crafted, mixed drinks. So we would use uh, like really good quality ingredients. We don't rely on sugar. We keep our ingredients interesting. Um, We like to mix familiar flavours with the unexpected. Uh, okay, for example, so one of our highest sellers in one of our other bars is a Zadar Colada. Okay, so if you think of typical pina colada flavors like pineapple yep. and coconut, uh, coconut, you know, so, so we've got that. So that's familiar. But then we've mixed it with Zadar. So, <laughs> okay. 
So you have Zathar to, you have in to, of this region, Zathar, that I usually have on a cheese exactly. I'm like trying to process how that so tastes in a drink. Think, think, think a pina colada with some juniper flavors and a little bit of bitter orange, some sparkling grape um, for a really interesting serve. Yep. So slightly familiar and slightly unexpected. Mm. And uh, Kira, I'll ask you this because I think what a lot of people face is that let's say you've got a group of friends. Some people like to drink and some people don't. So maybe they'd prefer to go an option where... You can make that choice. What, why should people come to the fridge, even if in their mixed group they, you know, they have both preferences? I think it's it's also opening your mind. Like it's giving you a different option. You have the options of cocktails. You've options of you know non-alcoholic grape and hops. It's of course there is some you know other offerings as well. But it's it's giving a a different perspective. And I feel for many people, it's opening minds that with preconceived notions of what these type of drinks ordinarily are, we're giving it a new horizon and a new offering. And I think even right down to the glassware, the garnishes, every single element of it is considered and they look beautiful, never mind tasting amazing. Yeah, and I love that experience. And, you know, it is, it's nice to tell people you don't need to drink to have a good night out, that you could still have an enjoyable experience. And maybe you realize how much you don't actually need that aspect of it. Let's talk just really quickly about live music at the fridge. What's coming up this season? What can we look forward to? So we're right in the middle of our Fridge concert series right now. So we have um, another one with uh, on Tuesday with... Red Around, and then we have Hanazan the following week. So we have two concerts this Tuesday and the following Tuesday. We also are very excited. We have our very first um, show in Coca-Cola Arena next Saturday, the 14th. We are bringing the Filipino superstars Ben and Ben over for their very first arena show. So we're super excited. So there's a little plug for that. Tickets at Coca-Cola Arena and Platinum List. So, um, yeah, that's we're really excited about that. Um, And then we have other events that are concerts that will happen in November in our space as well. So it's going to be an ongoing, you know, experience for guests who come in and we're going to open up to some open mic nights and some DJ nights. So it's really going to be a full rounded experience um, in the fridge going forward. And we're building an outdoor area as well for the beautiful winter. So we're super excited. Okay, so the TVM at the fridge, which you've mentioned, opens on Friday, the 13th of October. Lucky for us. And then will people be able to just swing by at any time, whether you have an event or not? So when we have a private event, it will be closed to the public and we will open this and we will announce this on social media so people can keep track of that. So but ordinarily, yes, we'll be open Tuesdays to Sundays is the plan. Currently, the opening hours are from 12 till 9 and eventually we will be open in the mornings as well because we'll have a great coffee offering and some pastries and eventually have some delicious takeout food offerings as well. Yeah, looking forward to it. Kiara and Anna, thank you so much for joining us on the agenda today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank and you very much. Really look forward to coming to check it out. The Fridge is already one of my favorite venues. Amazing. So I'm looking forward to check out this new offering with TVM as well. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. You are tuned into The Agenda. And Jen and I have been discussing how there's been a bit of a global boom in hair transplants. Now, we've seen this anecdotally through people that we know, but also people sharing their journeys on TikTok, but also in the numbers, of course. According to a Future Market Insights report, the hair restoration market revenues of around $4.9 billion in 2021 is expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 18.2%. So expected to go from 2022 to 2022. 32 reaching 30.8 billion from that 4.9 billion figure that we mentioned currently. We've already talked about the go-to destination Istanbul. Uh, you know, the country's health ministry has said that it expects 2 million health tourists this year uh, for plastic surgery, dental care and other procedures as well, and they expect to bring in 20 billion dollars in revenue from this sector. But a little story caught our eye about a new robotic technology that's assisted by AI that's available right here in Dubai. So we wanted to find out a little bit more about what this means for costs for people looking at hair transplants and if we're going to see more people taking up the procedure here, even coming from elsewhere to, to get it. So we're joined now by consultant plastic surgeon and chairman at Kakuna Clinics, Dr. Sanjay Parashar. Dr. Sanjay, thanks for joining us on the agenda today. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. And Dr. Sanjay, let's start with, first of all, what kind of growth are we seeing in demand here and the take up for hair transplants? 
uh, hair transplant has been continuously growing. I mean, since the time I started, that's in 2005, I've seen the boom around 2012, and it continuously increased until up to 2020. And uh, in fact, after uh, you know uh, the, the COVID break, it picked up again. So we are seeing a continuous rise in hair transplant in UAE itself now. And tell us a little bit about the robotic device, the Artus IX machine. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, That's correct. How does it work compared to, let's say, a manual technique or the way that it's currently done? How is the so, robotic device doing this differently? Yeah, so so it's an it, it's a robotic device that actually has a capability to gauge individuals' hair type. So it can actually identify the hair that needs to be borrowed to be able to transplant it. So it has the capability to select the healthy hair that is picked up by the robot itself. So robot actually harvests the hair, and then that hair is placed in the appropriate place in an appropriate angle to give a natural appearance. So this majority of the work is done by the artist robot. It only requires a surgeon to control the, let's say the remote, to adjust the position of the patient on the table, on the chair, and rest is done by the robot. And have you had any hesitations from patients who don't know if they feel like they can trust a robot with a process that's so meticulous, that's so painstaking, that, you know, perhaps people are, are expecting to have a surgeon specifically behind this. How has the response been? So, yeah, there were two two issues when we started. We Actually, we were the first one to launch in the Middle East, uh, in, in Dubai, in 2016. And in the beginning, there were two hindrances. One, yeah, people were not sure of what they would experience with a robot, you know. And second, of course, the cost that came with, with the robot itself. Uh, but when 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 people started experiencing it, the word of mouth spread, and then people had more confidence. In fact, we have people coming asking, preferably for robot, than for the conventional method. And what does this mean for cost accessibility? Because it is something that is known to be a rather expensive procedure, a little bit hard on the wallet. So, with automating this procedure, does it mean it's going to become a little bit more accessible for people? It is becoming more accessible. The cost, of, of course, has come down significantly. And, and, and the major region, reason for that is it requires less manpower. So um, just a surgeon and an assistant can perform this procedure in, in, a, in, a, in a lesser time than a standard hair transplant procedure can be performed. So all of this is going to bring the cost down. Right. And tell us a little bit more about how the results work? I mean, how long does it last? I always wonder when people go for hair transplants, but they have a natural tendency to lose their hair for whatever reasons. Are they going to lose that hair that they've transplanted after after a period of time? So, so Artas has distinctive advantages. One, it does not have something called a shock loss, which is because of the, the sheer injury uh, during the performance of the procedure where some of the hair can get lost and then it takes a little while for it to grow and when it grows, it's not strong enough. And hence, it may not last longer. With the robot, the shock loss is less because the medications used are less, the, the, the speed and accuracy is much more uh, precise. This reduces shock loss, so the hair starts growing earlier and stay longer. Now, comparatively, in, as far as results are concerned, they're equally good. Um, it does give the desired density. It does give a good uh, thickness of the hair, and that hair lasts long. But again, it all depends on the genetic of the person because the hair roots are susceptible to injury because of aging and so many different factors. You know. And uh, final one for you, Dr. Sanjay. Who is doing this? And where are some of the areas that you're seeing more people doing this? So, for example, a lot of people associate this one with men. Are you seeing more women participating as well? Oh, absolutely. In fact, there is an increased trend in, 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 in lowering the hairline demanded by, by women. And um, it's more attractive for them because they don't need as much hair as men need. So it's not a very long procedure. And a robot helps to actually... Um, accurately and precisely plan that hairline advancement for them. So definitely there is a rise in women as well. Of course, men, 
men all from all age groups they would want to have head full of hair so yeah Dr. Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us to have a little chat today. I think it's such an interesting topic that we're seeing more and more people take this up. Uh, actually, just a, a, a thought for you is there's also the idea with something like this of acceptance. Okay, so you're losing your hair. Why does it have to be such a big deal by society's standards? I mean, what, what do you make of that about if people well, maybe should learn to just accept it a little bit more? Well, that's body image, you know, and body image has always been uh, uh, um, uh, an important thing for everybody. Um, be it for men, as far as the hair is concerned, or the looks, or just their their body um, fitness, and you know, and you can see a lot of improvement. Or a lot of people are working towards their body image, and they are trying to improve the image with a lot of social media. Also, gaining popularity, people want to look good. They want to look good in their in in, in the Zoom conversations, in their meetings. So I think there is an increase, and I feel that. Um, Obviously, there's a there's a borderline between going obsessive about it and expecting something which will make them look normal and look more acceptable, you know, in, in whichever business or society they are in. Right. Dr. Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us on the agenda today. Thank you very much for inviting me. The voice there of Dr. Sanjay Parashar. He is a consultant, plastic surgeon and chairman at Kakuna Clinics. are tuned into the agenda with me, Sonal, and I'm joined now, I'm happy to say, by Christopher McCarty. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Sonal. Just to let you know, I'm in the safer confines <laughs> of a taxi this time around and not my bathroom. Yeah, you've been you've been over in the capital this morning. It's been a busy couple of days have, for you. Yeah. yeah, I've been down this morning. I've had uh, breakfast with Manchester City. Uh, Julian Lescott, former Man City defender, is in town. He's going to be the a piece de resistance, I guess you could say, for the viewing party that's taking place at the Louvre down here in Abu Dhabi on Sunday. Of course, uh, Manchester City taking on Arsenal in the big English Premier League match. So we've uh, entertained a few stakeholders, a few valued partners, little puny with Julian, and just to mark your cards, we'll be in conversation with them tomorrow uh, afternoon. That interview you will hear uh, next week's off script. Extra time from 7 p.m. Yeah, looking forward to that. You're always rubbing shoulders with the who's who, and it's really good for the show. So <laughs> thanks for that. I want to start today with the cricket because I heard Richard Dean actually refer to it yesterday. The World Cup got underway yesterday. He mentioned the stadium's not looking too busy, but it's also been an absolute shocker for defending champions England. It certainly has, yes. Uh, I would say to Richard and anyone else, uh, not to worry. I think the stadiums will slowly fill up. Of course, you won't be able to get a ticket for love nor money this coming Sunday. India, host nation taking on Australia. But let's start with what we witnessed yesterday. It was a repeat of the 2019 final. England coming out on top then, but it was a modicum of revenge for New Zealand. They were awesome yesterday. England made 282 for the loss of nine wickets in their 50 overs. And then what did New Zealand do? Well, they knocked off that run total inside 36.1 overs. They lost just one wicket, for goodness sake. So uh, you had Conway and Ravindra. They both made massive centuries, 283 for the loss of one. So a nine-wicket victory for the Kiwis. The Black Caps up and running. England will go away and lick their wounds. But of course, it's a marathon, not a sprint. England will still have a big say in the destination of this ICC Cricket World Cup. But yes, not the best of starts for their title defence. And of course, we've got another game today. What can we expect? Yeah, Pakistan taking on the Netherlands. This one uh, over in Hyderabad gets underway at 12.30. Of course, Pakistan is the number two ranked team in ICC uh, ODI cricket. They're a handy team, our Pakistan. We talked about it, didn't we, the other night with Azim Rafiq, the former Yorkshire club captain. And you know he was pointing out that if Pakistan were to go into India and win a Cricket World Cup, it would rank amongst some of the greatest achievements anywhere, not just in cricketing history, in sporting history. But this is the first step in their quest for cricket and glory. They take on the Dutch. They're a handy team. You may recall that the Dutch actually put paid to Scotland's chances of reaching this 50-over World Cup. But with the bowling attack that Pakistan possess, I would fancy them to get the job done today, it must be said. Yeah, that's my ignorance. I did not know the Dutch were big into cricket, so very impressed, and maybe we'll try to tune into that if I get a chance as well. Now, it's worth remembering that there's another World Cup ongoing as well. The All Blacks were 
emphatic last night. Yeah, they certainly ones we are of course talking about the Rugby World Cup and it's a bit stop start the physical nature of rugby means that the players and the welfare of the players both physically and mentally needs to be looked after but again we're hurtling towards a weekend which means another round and another raft of big fixtures the Kiwis the All Blacks 73 points to not victories over Uruguay they ran in 11 tries you always expect New Zealand to beat Uruguay they did so they did so handsomely pretty emphatic as you just said and it now sets up the Kiwis for what looks to be, and we'll touch on this match tomorrow night, it could well be a date with Ireland in the quarterfinals. Of course, Ireland, though, in action tomorrow night against my beloved Scotland. Ah, you'll be watching that one closely. Oh, yes, yes. Scotland need a blooming miracle if we are. We, we are still mathematically, and if Robbie Greenfield's listen, listening to this, you don't need your calculator for this one, Rob, uh, but we are mathematically still in with a chance of reaching the quarterfinals. I don't think it happen, will happen. I think we need to run in a bonus point, so we need to run in four tries. We need to beat the Irish by more than 21 points, and we need to allow the Irish to have a bonus point. If all of that happens, Sono, South Africa go home. It's just not going to happen. I think Ireland will win, unfortunately for us, Scott, tomorrow evening and Ireland and South Africa heading into the quarterfinals of this rugby World Cup. Well, let's look ahead to the weekend, of course, because it is a Friday. What can we look forward to across the weekend? Well, what can you not look forward to? As I mentioned, you've got Scotland against Ireland in the rugby this weekend. As I've also mentioned, on Sunday 7.30, you've got Arsenal against Manchester City, the top two in the English Premier League from last season. Throw in a clash between the Titans and the Cricket World Cup between India and Australia. And you've also got the small matter of a Qatar Grand Prix in the world of Formula One. Of course, a reminder, Max Verstappen, he only requires three points this weekend to be crowned a three-time. Formula One world champion. He could actually do it before race day on Sunday. He could, if he finishes in the top six in the sprint race on Saturday, get the job done. So there's no shortage of sporting intrigue uh, this weekend. You're not on the show tonight, so I'll answer this question that you would have asked anyway. So, what are you doing this weekend, Chris? I'm watching sports on <laughs> Yeah, it's better than Christmas for you, isn't it? I was just hearing you oh. rattle all of that off, and I'm pretty sure you'd take that over any other time of the year. Of course I would. Even Father Christmas himself. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much. I know you've had a busy one this morning, so thanks for taking some time to chat. No issues. Catch up with you next week, son. See ya. Uh, that is Christopher McCarty. You will hear him on Offscript and Extra Time from 5 p.m. today, of course. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Don't forget, you can always tune in to The Agenda live on Dubai Eye 103.8 every weekday in the UAE from 10 a.m.